We're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots from the west. Oh, I think, dude. This week on Young Nostalgia, did you see that? It's a Superman. It's a plane. It's a bird. Uh, who the who the who the hell knows what that actually is? <laughs> Take a look. We are back, Young Nostalgia, for another fabulous week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Nolan. As always, Ben is beside me. And this week, episode 98, as we run ever clear... No, sorry. Gosh, I'm tripping over my words so bad. Couldn't even get the intro right. Can't even get the intro after the intro right. Uh, We are skipping ever closer to episode 100, and we have something very special uh, on the books for everybody to enjoy in the next couple of weeks. So we're excited to hook that up. Episode 98, uh, we're actually going to be talking about some uh, pretty hot news from this year, as well as just uh, the past, and it's always been a a prominent pop culture discussion. We're going to be talking about UFO or alien encounters that have made um, paved, paved their way throughout history that people always talk about. Uh, and remember when it comes to this kind of phenomenon. Ben, how you doing today, big guy? <laughs> I'm doing good. It, it's a good day. <laughs> We're off to a rough start already. <laughs> I know, but it's going to be a great episode. Every time that the start is a little bit rocky, it always turns to be one of the best episodes you've ever done. Is that based on empirical data? No, it's just based on a gut feeling. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Works for me. I'm, I'm glad that you believe. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've also had good. shows that start off a little rocky and they continued to just snowball downhill as well. <laughs> to, to, to be rocky, yeah. <laughs> the snowball actually just picks up every single rock that it hits. Right. Oh my God. That's great. But it's good to be back. We really do hope that everyone is staying safe, staying sane, and uh, just doing what they can for what uh, they believe in and uh, making sure everyone is is just safe while doing so. And uh, you know, our thoughts and uh, feelings are always out to those people um, out there in the midst of everything. So just keep your chin up. We're going to get through this all together. Episode 98. Try not to keep it uh, you know, bogged down by anything in the world. We're here to escape it, and let's have a good time together. Are you ready to get into it, or do we have some weird debate topic that we should talk about beforehand? <laughs> no, I I don't think we actually do. Um, we always... No. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, sweet potato fries. No. You're hor- a fan. Horrible. Horrible, horrible, horrible. <gasps> what? And they're... They're tax and thumbtacks. Get that push okay. pin crap out of here. <laughs> well, I think I think we found our topic of discussion. Sweet potatoes are good. No. Okay, so so you just, you don't like sweet potatoes. Sweet at potatoes all. are an abomination. Like what about the uh, like sweet potato casserole or whatever you know for Thanksgiving? Still no. still not a fan. Unacceptable. Not a fan. Unacceptable. My biggest problem with them are like sweet potatoes themselves. They're actually not bad. <clears throat> And sweet potato fries are there just barely acceptable. Barely. My problem well, is being labeled potatoes. Because I, I am a potato connoisseur. I love potatoes. I love anything <laughs> with potatoes in it. I love them in all forms. Um, and sweet potatoes give regular potatoes a bad name. 
What? I don't get it, though. They're good. They're sweet. They could be crunchy, super, no. super crispy. No. I love it when See, the sweet the potato problem fries is, are super crunchy. Sweet potato fries look way too close to seasoned regular fries. <laughs> and so I've gotten... I've gotten tricked by that before and like, ah, I'm going to tear these fries up. Like, I don't know. I don't have a good example, like a buffet or something like that. And you. Oh, okay. I was, I was about to say, you should know those, what you ordered at Wendy's. Like you load up that. on those. Oh my gosh. I would never, ever order sweet potato fries. <laughs> um, you know, load up on those things or in school that always used to happen in school too. Oh, sweet fries. You know, that's cool. And you take a big old bite and oh, bummer. They're sweet potato fries gross and then you just start projectile vomiting over yeah and the then place. you throw them directly in the trash <laughs> i feel like this stems from way back when when ben was like five wanted french fries got sweet potato fries and and nothing has ever been the same scarred for life man scarred for life yeah absolutely <laughs> i think that's how i am with coconut and especially tuna uh, my parents Ooh. made this like tuna nuda casserole, and I oh. couldn't stand the smell of it. Couldn't stand the smell of it. Absolutely cannot get me out of here. Like I gagged all the time. And then we would go to the kitchen table, and me being just young and naive, I didn't associate that terrible smell to what the dish actually was. So I'm sure a lot of people are traumatized as kids because the parents are like, we know you like this, and they'll slap more on your plate than anybody <laughs> else and force you to eat it. I've been traumatized ever since. I can I can understand like the the fish smell, but oh man, I love I love tuna noodle casserole. I love tuna in general. I eat it right out of like the tuna packs you can buy. Oh my god, um, just like buy the spoonful. Yes, exactly, and it comes in nice flavors and stuff too. Tuna noodle casserole. We do tuna steaks on the grill all the time. Uh, that's blasphemy. No, 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 no. Tuna is chicken of the sea it oh is delicious well you know what the best thing about this is is that i can control the audio board and the show so we're just going to move on and just pretend <laughs> you didn't even say that <laughs> uh, just a couple weeks ago we had big thick like one inch thick tuna steaks on the grill and Jeez. man was it good man i mean okay food food is always good but that is just making me queasy <laughs> god I'm, I'm i'm glad that we're still friends but <laughs> Well, next time you hear, we're going to be making tuna steaks, and you're going to try them. No, 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 you're not. You sound exactly like my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, They're so good, man. Love you, mom. All right, let's carry on (laughs) into episode 98. All right, so hot off the presses, the reason why we're kind of taking a look at this topic today was the big uh, surprise and kind of release of video and audio from the Pentagon this year in terms of some unidentified flying objects off in the distance. The audio you heard at the beginning of this episode was actually from one of those released episodes, and those are, uh, I believe, U.S. Air Force uh, soldiers, Navy, sorry, U.S. Navy soldiers reacting to the video that they were watching and not understanding what this flying craft was doing or or, or what uh, its motives were. So that's what we're going to dive into as the first topic. And then we picked and plucked a few other uh, major topics throughout pop culture history that have garnered headlines and uh, still talked about today. So Ben, why don't you take us across through the Pentagon 2020 sighting this year? What's up? So 
A little bit of a preface to this. These videos have actually been circulating the internet for quite a while. Um, they were released by a uh, independent company, um, an independent contractor with the United States military. Um, and they were more or less, they were released, but they were kind of turned into memes and it, it wasn't taken super seriously just because it was released by an independent company. Um, and you know, it's always tagged with supposedly captured by Navy, uh, uh, Navy pilots. Oh, okay. But on April 27th of 2020, the Pentagon officially released three videos showing, quote, unidentified aerial phenomena. Uh, <laughs> the videos showed several objects flying through the sky captured on infrared cameras. Um, and two, like Nolan said, two of these videos actually contain the audio of the pilots' reactions to what they were actually witnessing. Um. <clears throat> So, kind of like I talked about, they were previously leased by a private company. Um, the Pentagon ended up officially releasing these videos uh, earlier this year in, quote, in order to clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there are more to the videos, unquote. Which is surprising because usually the government's just like, no, we'll never give any concrete answer to anything. So the fact that they're like trying to debunk people saying this has to be fake. They're mm -hmm. like, no, it's actually real. Check this out. That is something that the government, I feel like just doesn't do. Yeah. And so that's kind of crazy. That's something we've been kind of moving towards the past couple of years. There's been a lot less wishy-washiness about, uh, un unidentified aerial craft, um, being spotted. You know, it, it's kind of always been like, uh, don't worry about it. We don't know what it is or weather balloons or, you know, whatever. And then in recent years, it's it's gotten more toward, especially with this release earlier this year, it's kind of more the standpoint from the Pentagon is like, hey, we we know there's something out there. There's something going on, but we will confirm that there are things flying around, mm -hmm. but we ha still have no idea what they are. Now, whether or not, you know... It, we have to, we do have to look at it through the lens of, you know, whatever the government knows, specifically military uh, side of the government knows. We are always, always, always several years at the most or at the least behind what the current knowledge is. Um, right. Because it has to and go even, through miles of red tape. Everything's classified. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, we don't learn tidbits of information until new inform until that's old old news you know right and, I, and like what i was just about to say was kind of and they only tell us what they want to tell us right um exactly and so th this that's why this news was so huge earlier this year because this is they have been wishy-washy on it for a long time they were just starting to get a little bit more concrete about it and then immediately we have this um we have this uh, release where it is a concrete, like, hey, we ha we know there's things out here, but we don't know what they are. Right. Um, and so because of this, going along with this release, uh, the Navy actually implemented formal guidelines for how its pilots should report what they believe uh, to be UFOs after they've had an encounter. That's um, kind of crazy. Which is really interesting. Um, and so a couple quotes we have here. Um, as I got close to it, 
Uh, it rapidly accelerated to the south and disappeared in less than two seconds, uh, coming from retired U.S. Navy pilot David Fravor. Um, quote, this is extremely abrupt, like a ping pong ball bouncing off a wall. It would hit and go the other way. Um, and another quote we have here, um, these aircraft, we'll call them aircraft, are displaying characteristics that are not currently within U.S. inventory nor any foreign inventory that we are aware of, unquote. Um, and this is from Luis Elizondo, um, the former head of a classified Pentagon UFO program. Gosh, that's so crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you can just telling from the quotes, like this is something that there's no form of technology that that we know of to fly like that turn on a dime, accelerate on a dime, disappear, whatever. It's just something completely unheard of. Exactly. And I think that kind of wraps up the quick background on what the Pentagon released, but I'd like to, you know, take a few minutes and talk about, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like your feelings on the topic are quite similar to mine as to, there's no possible way that we are the only sentient beings in the universe. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's just like there's, there's too much possible. There's too much possibility, or the, there's too much. Um, I don't know how I'm trying to say this. Like there's too much variability in the way that science works, in the way that just things come to be. That as vast as they say our universe is, there is no way that we can be the only intelligent form of life out there. exactly. And I think I'll I'll go even a little bit further than that, too, and say that, you know, thinking that Earth is an exception and that humans are alone in the universe, I think that is an extremely close-minded, ignorant point of view. Um, Not saying, I mean... Not saying that in a mean way, but saying that in like in a descriptive <laughs> way that, you know, I mean, the, the our known universe is, I mean, it's borderline infinite. I mean, there are mm-hmm. edges of the universe that we can observe, but it's ever expanding and we're always able to see a little bit farther out, a little bit farther out. Um, right. And it's about as close to infinitely large as we can measure. And right. You know, thinking that we are the exception is—I mean, that there's no way. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, and there's just like, well, for as much as they're like, oh, you know what, there are livable conditions, or have been past livable conditions, even on neighbored planets like Mars and all that, and even potential water on the moon every now and then. Like, it's just it's just crazy and naive. I feel like to to not at least either wonder or. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily accept the fact, but be privy to potential of the fact of, of, of something else being out there. So absolutely. Um, and yeah, I feel like it, it would be a good, it would be a good opportunity for our listeners, you know, depending on what, how you feel or whatever, give us an email at young pod at gmail.com. Let us know what uh, your, your overall thoughts are on if this kind of stuff is real. Uh, do you feel like we're not alone? Let us know if you have any personal experience Hopefully not probed, but at least, you know, maybe you saw something. <laughs> Just let us know. Um, right. And so I, I, and I guess I, we should probably add, too, that I, I will add a caveat to that, that uh, 
yes, I 100% believe that there's probably other intelligent life out there. Although I am very skeptical of influence on our planet, I should say. Like like them being disguised as us, like they already live yes, among us kind of a Yes, thing. I mean, there's a ton of just absolutely outlandish conspiracy crap floating around. You know, yes, <laughs> I 100% think that people are probably seeing stuff in the sky. Do I 100% believe everybody's alien abduction story absolutely not i'm not you know a crazy conspiracy theorist you know and i feel like you're in this once again you're in the same boat as me to where you have to weed through a lot of crap um to get to any sort of believable story but that being said you know i think there are some credible stories out there right and i mean just you know if you kind of want to get our stance on on some uh drawn out processes of thinking with conspiracy theories check out our old conspiracy <laughs> theory episodes lizard people are out there also check out our good friends at otaku brothers podcast uh the la- last week's episode actually um they took uh conspiracy theories to the next level and it was really cool and they actually talked about the lizard people in depth and uh, it was a good, enjoyable show. I absolutely loved it. So check those out. The Otaku Brothers Podcast. Um, always like plugging those. Somehow I always find some way to like plug them, you know? <laughs> I never think, I never think. oh, well, let's record Young Nostalgia. And then in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is perfect. This is exactly where, oh, I'm going to lead Ben down this path so we can plug them. <laughs> They're just a great show. <laughs> absolutely love them. Um, I- okay. I don't, I'm not, I should be, but I'm not, I'm not a regular listener to their show. Um, I have a hard time. I, I don't listen to 50% of the shows I subscribe to anyway, cause there's so many of them. Um, <laughs> right. but I, I just hope that they, we get the same plugs that they get in our show. <laughs> oh no, they do. Uh, no, absolutely. Cause like, you know, I, I interact with Rusty on pretty much if not multiple times a week, at least once a week, whether it right. be on Twitter or something like that. So if I ask them a question or something just about the show, since I listen every week, he'll say like, oh, Nolan asked this and then check out Young Nostalgia. So I'm so like, oh, gotcha. Always got to always got to go back and forth. So I feel like we're playing like tennis. So now the ball is in their court. Right. We'll see what happens this next week. <laughs> and then it'll be back in our court and then we'll hit it back. Perfect. All right. Perfect. Moving, <laughs> moving on to the next topic. I'll cover this one. So as we're looking back into history for UFO uh, sightings, uh, Kenneth Arnold, the phenomenon with Kenneth Arnold was actually coined as the first uh, official kind of like sighting or experience that kind of launched the UFO um, craze nationwide. So considered to be the first UFO sighting to spark the nationwide phenomenon of UFOs. So what happened is uh, while he was flying his small aircraft near Washington's Mount Rainier on June 24th, 1947, uh, Arnold came uh, claimed that he uh, saw nine blue glowing objects flying past at an estimated 1700 miles an hour in a V formation, 1700 miles an hour. I don't think I've ever seen anything clocked to go that fast unless like you're looking at like a rocket ship or you know space orbital stations i think travel Uh, pretty darn quick yeah yeah well i think uh i don't know what the speed of sound is i think we have aircraft now that does seventeen thousand miles per hour i'm sorry 1700 miles per hour um pretty easily but this is also in 1947 Right. As well. I think uh, <clears throat> jet air travel was just just barely beginning. Um, 
And I think I'm not, I'm not totally not being covert at all in my typing of on this keyboard. (laughs) So I don't even know why I should hide it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So the speed of sound is 760 miles an hour. Um, Okay. So, and we have stuff that vastly exceeds the speed of sound. Um, So, whether or not we're actually at 1700 miles per hour, I would wager to say that we're getting pretty close. Okay. I'm with you. Um, But yeah, like you said, the technology of the time, 1947, this is something just completely unheard of. Exactly. Exactly. So, that doesn't discount at all how odd this would be in 1947. Right. Okay, so when he saw this up there, uh, he first believed the objects to be some sort of actual new military craft. So like I said, like like we were talking about, this thing is just unheard of. So, oh, maybe it's some sort of prototype uh, technology that he just didn't know about and they're just flying tests. Um, granted, this was, after all, just two years after World War II. Kind of the U.S. was kind of put on top in terms of money and technology-wise, um, as well as the first year of the Cold War. So a lot of tensions were high. Uh, but the military confirmed after his sighting that there was no other tests being conducted near Mount Rainier that day. And when Arnold described the crafts in motion, uh, he called them their, that, that, the, that the way they traveled was similar to a saucer that if you skipped it across water. And so this is where the actual coined phrase from the media called UFOs flying saucers. Um, soon, other reports uh, of the group of nine UFOs <clears throat> cropped up across the nation. So it's kind of interesting to uh, follow the reports across the nation from Washington over. Um, so sightings were actually seen by a prospector in Mount Adams and the crew of a commercial flight over in Idaho. And that's kind of what brings this more into a grounded uh, sighting was not just the pilot of a milita- you know, military um, government, but like any people on just like a Delta flight over Idaho saw these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it's even moving up to two eyewitnesses, um, you know, as opposed to a single one, it boosts credibility exponentially, um, especially if you can have uh, witnesses that are not necessarily a in the same location or b affiliated with each other. Um, Right. You know, you know, how are you? How on earth would you would someone be able to explain two different people, unrelated people in two different locations seeing similar things at the same time or, you know, similar things in general? Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that's kind of what makes people tilt their head and what really sparked the influence of UFOs across the country after this. Mm -hmm. And so the last point here that we have on this topic is that the government actually never offered a credible explanation for the sightings documented here. It simply claimed Arnold had seen a mirage or is hallucinating. But I feel like, you know, with the strict, strict limitations that government agencies have, especially the military, I feel like if a guy was hallucinating, he wouldn't have been flying. (laughs) you know what i mean like they just would not have allowed that to happen yeah i 100 percent agree you know if someone wasn't in peak physical and mental states you know they they shouldn't have been up in the air anyway 
Right, exactly. <clears throat> and so, like, just just ending this out, the interesting th- thing that actually occurred is that after uh, Arnold's story got out, UFO UFO mania set in. But actually, just a few short weeks later, the infamous Roswell incident occurred. And that kind of just perpetuated the obsession and uh, UFOs and just alien encounters tend to grow um, more from here. So that's kind of where it all began. Yeah, definitely one of the, I think, really the first kind of noted uh, sighting. I'm sure there were other ones, but this is kind of the first one that we really saw either in the news or noted down or or by multiple people at once. Right. I love it. All right, big guy. This thing is, is uh, you know, I, both you and I have listened to podcasts that have covered this topic in depth. Um, and it's something that's super intriguing. And just, I feel like with the, with the story of Betty and Barney Hill, You'll, they have obviously multiple stories in terms of this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And each time I hear it, it's like I go from believing them to not believing them to believing them to not believing them. Like I just can't, I don't have one solid opinion upon this whole story. It's nuts. Yeah, I, I'll have to agree with that. And I think it's been publicized so much that um, it's it's very easy for it to have gotten blown up bigger than it was you know, if it really happened or, you know, there, there's been plenty of opportunities for facts to have gotten mixed up, um, Mm -hmm. on top of an already kind of wishy washy story to begin with. Right. So we are of course talking about Betty and Barney Hill. So, you know, if Kenneth Arnold and his experience were kind of the the starting point for UFO unidentified flying objects. Betty and Barney Hill was kind of the starting point for alien abductions. Uh, probes. Yeah, getting probed. And we'll actually, we'll talk <laughs> about that probed. here kind of shortly. So, <laughs> hashtag getting probed. <laughs> yeah, let's please make that trending on Twitter. Um, so if Betty and Barney probed, Hill email young nostalgia pod at gmail.com. Oh gosh. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, geez. So <laughs> Betty and Barney Hill were an American couple who claimed they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire from September 9th. I'm sorry, September 19th to 20th, 1961. Uh, <clears throat> it was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. <clears throat> So on September, the evening of September 19th, 1961, <clears throat> Barney and Betty Hill sighted a pancake-shaped UFO while driving home through rural New Hampshire. Um, they kind of were wondering what was happening, wasn't really sure what was going on. Um, Barney ended up stopping the car in order to get a better look. Um, after he stopped and got out of the car, the UFO actually tilted towards them a little bit, and they, he was able to see six uniformed beings on the inside looking out. Um, this would, as would be the case for I'm pretty sure literally anybody, uh, scared the crap out of him, and he got back in the car <laughs> and they sped away. <laughs> so, 
Um, they, after a very short period of time, the UFO was stayed with them, stayed close. Um, there was a series of beeps, uh, and the car began to vibrate, uh, all while they both were feeling extremely drowsy. Um, Ooh. so after a few minutes of this, you know, the car vibrating, feeling super drowsy, not able to really concentrate on anything, uh, vision foggy. Um, there, they reported another series of beeps and the UFO disappeared. Now, obviously extremely shaken up, very confused. They continued home and when they got home, they discovered that they lost two hours of time. They actually arrived home two hours later than they actually should have gotten home. Um... So at this point in the story, we, it is, I don't necessarily want to say compelling, um, because there isn't, it's kind of first person data, you know, there isn't external witnesses or anything like that. Um, but it's believable. It's, it's a believable story. So this, unfortunately, this is where it loses me a little bit. Um, I'm you know, if it really did happen, I don't want to discredit them. You know, I think a definite possibility that of all the weird things that we see going on in the world and, you know, in this area, in this subject matter, I should say, I think that it's still all could have been true, but it does get a little bit outlandish after this. So, um, in the weeks and months dating back from this incident, uh, a series of disturbing nightmares and other personal issues, uh, mental health related, uh, led the Hills to seek psychiatric help. So basically in a six month time period from January to June of 1964, the Hills were able to describe the actual landing of the UFO, uh, the occupants occupants exiting the UFO, uh, their subsequent abduction, uh, and they were actually split up and underwent very rigorous uh, medical examinations and uh, before being returned to their car and you know the UFO left. Um, right. The key to all of this is they weren't able to remember any of this stuff until they were actually put under hypnosis. Um, right. And I don't know. Like I said, this is kind of where they lose me a little bit for two reasons. Um, in especially in recent years, hypnosis has been it has been growing in popularity as far as like uh, hypnotic regression therapy and helping to individuals remember uh, past events that they can't remember consciously. Um, it has been growing, but it's still a little bit on, for lack of a better term, it's still a little bit on the flaky side. Mm-hmm. Um, it is definitely not, you know, you can't use hypnotic regression as court testimonial, you know, anything like that. It's still kind of, uh, wishy-washy as far as the legitimacy of these memories. Um, and especially dating back to the 60s, 
you know, it's, you know, it's just really been in, in the past 10 years or so, it's starting to grow a little bit. And so it was kind of in its infancy back then. Um, right. And the second reason is they didn't undergo this hypnosis and these details weren't, didn't start coming out until uh, a little a little less than three years after the initial incident. Uh-huh. Now that is playing devil's advocate a little bit. That is definitely right along the time frames of, you know, their their names were in the news. They had this unique experience, and then you know their names are still floating around the news a little bit, and they're starting to taper off a little bit, and their names are kind of fading away, and maybe. This was kind of a way to get back in the limelight a little bit by releasing some new data that was gained from hypnosis. You know, I mean, looking at it right. being a little over two years, well, a little less than three years after the fact, definitely enough time to kind of create a narrative as to what actually happened. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I, I definitely don't know what to believe. I think the, the, the time difference is a big thing mm-hmm. um, for me, where how long it took to start the hypnosis or something like that. Uh, and then just, just based on even the whole thing as a whole, like a lot of times people have very just vivid dreams in general. So a lot of times, you know, we've even talked about um, not necessarily the Mandela effect, but just the way our minds work sometimes will create uh, scenarios or instances that just make sense in our mind to kind of get to point A to point B when we forget what happened in between there. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. You know we just I mean? talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, right. You know, even if you're, you know, sub weird things happen in your subconscious. And, Absolutely. you know, you could be, you know, as crazy of an experience as this would be experiencing that that UFO um it it could be on your mind for ye- months and years afterwards and you could be subconsciously kind of dwelling on this and coming up like what if space like what if we were taken on board what if this what if that and that could be manifesting in your subconscious which would then show up in dreams more often than not Right. And I don't know, that's like I said, it, it, if we exclude everything after 1961, I think it's a very, very believable story. But once we start getting into the 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 full descriptions of the actual encounter after hypnosis, that's unfortunately, that's where it kind of starts to lose me a little bit. Right. And obviously this is all up to you to believe or not believe there's more, much more to the story than what we have talked about. And even multiple stories on top of this, not even just Betty and Barney Hill, there's tons out there, but, uh, it's crazy. You know, I mean, I, I don't think I feel safe enough saying I don't believe something happened or either like they didn't see anything. I cannot, I cannot feel comfortable saying that everything about them is just untrue. So it's up to oh, uh, definitely up not. to your yeah. reading. Yeah, exactly. So it's crazy. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree that I, I absolutely would not. I would never say that nothing happened to them. I'm just kind of questioning. I'm questioning to the extent of yeah the extent of what happened to them. Right. 
I, I definitely highly suggest anybody out there to just either visit the Wikipedia page. Uh, you, you'll find these links down in our show notes, as well as the link from the past story of the Pentagon in 2020. Um, and that'll actually have the footage of what we were talking about. But check it out. Form your own opinions. Um, and then let us know. Give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. There's a lot of uh, great content out there exploring Betty and Barney Hill's um, experience. So that's good stuff. What do you think, man? Can we get through the last topic before we're rounding out the show? It's a long one, but I think we can do it. We, let's let's keep on topic. Let's maybe trim it down a little bit and uh, take us into the Battle of Los Angeles. All right. Battle of Los Angeles. That was kind of cool. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here at Young Nostalgia. Just kidding. That did not garner a laugh as much as I wanted it to. But. <laughs> <laughs> and I think did I also... <laughs> I also spelled Los Angeles completely wrong. No, that's I spelled that out and I was wrong. That's what I was fixing. And while you were talking, I guess I missed the joke. I wow. <laughs> Remember anyway, we talked about we how go. when we start off rough, it gets better. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it well, does not. Okay, well, it started off rough, got really good, and then the end segment's bad. So right. This right. is the overall. I'd say it's success. Battle of Los Angeles. <laughs> let's take a look in the. So th- this kind of led up. This was before Kenneth Arnold. Um, so if you take a look back in the crazy weeks following the attack on Pearl Harbor, tensions ran high throughout the entire nation, with uh, pretty much everyone on edge, and oftentimes mistaking objects or warnings um, that are just usually considered normal as as kind of being more than what they were. It all started on February 23rd, 1942, a Japanese submarine actually surfaced off the coast of Santa Barbara, California, hurled over a dozen artillery shelves at an oil field and refinery. Uh, luckily, there was only minor damage, no casualties, but this kind of marked the first time that attack happened on U.S. soil after the bombing of World War II, so people are even more on edge. Just a day after that... Um, Paranoia and itchy triggers climbed ever higher, and it produced one of the most unusual home front incidents of the entire war. Check this out. It began on the evening of February 24th, 1942. Naval intelligence instructed units around California coast to steel themselves for a potential Japanese attack. Shortly after 2 a.m. in the morning on February 25th, military radar picked up on what appeared to be an enemy contact some 120 miles west of Los Angeles. Now, even though it's 1942, 120 miles is a long way away for that kind of thing, I feel like, to start engaging or at least be prepared. 120 miles, I feel like it's a long way away to be sound in what is coming. It is, but it's also but, when you're thinking about air travel and, you know, what what they're oh, expecting yeah. it to be is an air raid. You right. know, that's 120 miles is traveled extremely quickly by an aircraft that's looking to flatten the city. Um, you're right. And to be, you know, getting yourselves undercover, you know, batting down the hatches. That's, you know, it's not a ton of time if you're thinking about it from the viewpoint that they were as far as preparing right. for an attack. I'm sure they probably had maybe five or ten minutes, depending on on when this thing was going to hit them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So w- after that sighting, the air air raid sirens sounded and a citywide blackout was put into effect. So then that way it would kind of um, take Los Angeles off the map so bombers couldn't pinpoint um, target areas. Um, within minutes, troops had manned anti-aircraft guns and begun sweeping the skies uh, with searchlights. So just after 3 in the morning when the shooting started, that's when, it's, that's when the shooting started. Follow, following reports of an unidentified object in the skies, troops and Santa Monica unleashed a barrage of anti-aircraft and 50 caliber machine gun fire. Before long, many of the city's other coastal defenses just joined in and there was just a barrage of fire for several minutes. The firing lasted um, for several minutes with many testimonials um, you know, with uh, of seeing planes go through, seeing fires in the air, um, as well as one claiming that a Japanese plane crash landed in the streets of Hollywood. Um, Los Angeles's artillery batteries had pumped over 1,400 rounds of AA ammunition into the sky at this time, which is crazy. Um, while there were no serious injuries from the shootout itself, it was actually reported that at least five people had died due to the result of heart attacks and car accidents that happened in the streets because of the extended blackout where nobody could see what was going on. Um, and then just probably the sound and the chaos of the weapons firing gave people either heart attacks or panic attacks or something like that, mm-hmm. which is nuts. Yeah, and it's... So, and all of this, you know, and we will say, uh, you know, he talked about the testimonials uh, claiming to see fires in the sky, burning airplanes, and even a Japanese plane crashing on the streets of Hollywood. I don't know as how deep we go into that in the rest of the story, but that was confirmed to none of that being true. There were no military reports right. of any downed aircraft. Of any, There's... No reports of any even confirmed aircraft hits, let alone downed aircraft. Right. And then in my next couple of points here, we have even possible explanations of the entire event. So after the war ended uh, years later in 1945, the Japanese government actually declared that they had not flown any airplanes over Los Angeles during the war. In 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History concluded that an analysis of the evidence actually points to meteorological balloons as the cause of the initial alarm. Now, can you imagine being that one guy that's like, you know what, this really needs to go up for the radio station tonight so it's a blackout you know it'll be just fine we'll get the job done send up the balloon and then all this chaos and <laughs> hell just breaks loose because can you imagine i bet that one guy just never came forward yeah i mean it, i'm so sick of the the <laughs> the weather balloon explanation to to basically i mean that was that's a huge that was a huge explanation by the government for roswell roswell new mexico oh, as well Area yeah that's right that's oh it was right. a weather balloon that's right so apparently weather balloons are everywhere even in the middle of nowhere like roswell right so we have this huge lockdown facility um ex- you know there's witnessed w- eyewitnesses for uh unidentified aircraft coming down there's People who claim to have worked in Area 51 talking about what's hidden there. Just and the fact that it's so I mean, there's sensors in the ground at Area right. 51 that monitors anyone who comes anywhere close to the perimeter. And you're telling me that it was just it was just a weather balloon. Like <laughs> I, 
I'm not a. I don't know if they have little green men hidden away somewhere at Area 51. I don't know, but it seems kind of ridiculous that they would have been that big of a big of a deal centered around a weather balloon. Right. Right. In both cases. Um, yeah. No, I, I'm with you. You put it that way, and you, uh, I'll agree with you with in anything. Uh, so, so one thing, <laughs> probably much of the confusion actually came about um, after the analysis and the release of this report is that the actual fact of anti-aircraft shell bursts in the sky caught by the searchlight themselves would actually make um, service members think that there are planes in the sky. So kind of pretty much their own explosions they are making made them think that planes were still flying around. Mm-hmm. And so which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it does. It does. Right. And then kind of the last thing here to, to even kind of, put this even into more uh, perspective, whether it be an actual UFO sighting or not that uh, set this off. Check this out. A photo published in the Los Angeles Times the next day on February 26, 1942, it actually featured a UFO conspiracy theory um, as evidence of extraterrestrial visitation. They assert that the photo they actually published with that story clearly shows searchlights focused on an alien spaceship. However, the photo was heavily modified by photo retouching prior to publication using a routine that was common practice back in the day uh, for graphic arts um, to intend to improve contrast in black and white photos so you can kind of see what's going on easier. So actually, if you read that and then you look at the photo on the Wikipedia page for um, the Battle of Los Angeles, you can actually really tell how all of the spotlights are centered on you know one point in the center. It would make it look like there's actually a flying saucer in the sky. Mm-hmm. But av- obviously, just because of the photo modification for them to uh, make the photo either clearer or come across better on print, um, it made it look like that. And I think they just kind of rolled that with the, like that with, with saying that potential UFO sighting sets off barrage at, you know, Navy, Air Force, or like Navy base or something like that. So, Oh, definitely. I mean, nuts. even it was never necessarily there hasn't been any accusations that it was intentionally modified to look like it was a ufo but assuming that it was not you know any type of modification to any sort of photo or video it's hard to be credible after the fact because weird things can happen when you're especially in older you know actual film you know weird things can show up in the film that make it look like something's mm-hmm. there that wasn't there. Um, so even if it wasn't intentional to make something look like it was in the sky, if it has been touched or, uh, you know, retouched prior to publication, you can't really trust that that's actually what's there. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's kind of what, uh, what brings to mind and, and just makes you think a little bit, but definitely check out all the articles that we link down in the show notes. Let us know what you think on your own thoughts. Young nostalgia pod at gmail.com about UFO and alien encounters. So I think that pretty much rounds up episode 98. This actually worked out pretty good overall. Mm-hmm. Good episode, great length, great topic, had a lot of good fun and laughs. Thank you guys so much for always sticking with us and enjoying the content. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We're out there. Let us know what you think. Give us a five-star review. Take about 13 seconds. Let us know what you'd like down in the comments below. 14. 14 I require 14 at least 14 seconds. 
<laughs> yes, documented. I want I want a video of you starting and stopping a stopwatch to make sure you put in your due time to young nostalgia. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. As always, it really means a lot. Ben, anything else, big guy? No, that was fun. Definitely. I mean, we've I I feel like I say it more often than not. Something that we definitely would not normally <laughs> talk about, but I think it turned into a great show tied right into relatively current events with uh, <clears throat> UFO data being released earlier by the earlier this year by the Pentagon, um, and definitely something that we should be kind of keeping an eye on over the next couple years and maybe reporting back in and and talking about any updates. That being Mm -hmm. said, I don't know, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, specific missions, but we should also think about doing a mini-series that kind of outlines the United, basically an overall timeline of the United States space exploration. That's actually a good idea. That's really cool, especially with the new SpaceX launch. Exactly. That all went through, and that stuff is really, really cool to be a part of big step in history so i think that would be a good pop culture thing for us to kind of kind of talk about here in the coming months maybe absolutely and then kind of bring in our thoughts of watching the spacex launch and being a part of that it's that'd be that's a good idea mm-hmm. write that down or else we'll forget it yes i will write it down as soon as we stop <laughs> all right right <laughs> i love it let us know check out the articles below again let us know your thoughts young nostalgia pod at gmail.com you guys rock as we always say here on young nostalgia keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full we'll talk to you next week